0: Well, good morning. It is great to be with you today. We're finishing up. No, no, we're not finishing up. This is only week three in our series. And our series is called The Struggle is Real. And uh, today we're going to look at a particular uh, personality in Scripture that we read about in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at three things That God does in the midst of struggle. And the person that we're gonna look at is a woman named Naomi. And while we look at her life, I want you to know that these things that God is doing, I believe that God is working and desires to work in exactly the same way in our lives. As He did in Naomi's life. So as we look at this, I want you to realize I'm not saying that ideally this is how it works. This is how it works. And this is what God desires to do in our lives. So the three things that God does in the midst of struggle, the first one is this, that God is at work. He is at work during our struggle. Naomi's struggle was very real. Naomi Due to a famine, her family, her husband said, you know what? We're going to leave where we're from. We're going to move from Bethlehem, and we are going to head to the land of Moab. Now, that's not like moving from Marquette to Green Bay, okay? Marquette to Green Bay is three hours and 15 minutes, plus you lose an hour uh, changing time zones. The distance between Bethlehem and Moab was 1,800 miles. So if you were to travel 30 miles a day, you would have to travel for two months straight every day, 30 uh, 30 miles a day in order to make it to Moab. So two solid months of traveling. But while she was there in Moab, she has her husband, she has her two sons, and her husband dies after they reach Moab. Now, losing a spouse would be terrible for any of us, but for a Jewish woman, it would be more difficult than what we could imagine today because everything in their life was tied up in their husband. And it was tied up in who they were as a a married person and a mother. Um, They didn't have careers. They didn't have incomes. And so this was something that was a real game changer. But thankfully, she had two sons. And these guys are obviously of marrying age because we read that while they were in Moab, guess what? They they wanted to get married. And when you're in Moab, who are you going to marry? You're going to marry people that are from Moab, right? Well, the people that were from Moab, God considered those, Scripture says, his enemies. They were considered his enemies. Now, it was not flat out forbidden in Scripture to marry a Moabite person. But it was considered sin. So it tells you the direction of the, the life of these young men. That they were marrying women <clears throat> who worshipped foreign gods. Because people in Moab, they worshipped someone other than Jehovah God, the God of Israel. And so now these sons are married. And within 10 years, the Bible tells us that these two sons Both also pass away. Now Naomi is left with no family. She's left with no support. She's left with no income. She said, literally, the Lord's hand is against me. Let me read from Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. She says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. <clears throat> now, Naomi's name means pleasant. Guys, if you came home from work on Monday and your wife said Listen, don't call me the name that you've always called me. You've always called me. Call me misery, okay? You would probably say something's going on with my wife, right? <laughs> I mean, we're not necessarily, the, we don't always have the same emotionally, emotional IQ as our wives do, but I think that would probably get through to most of us as, as men. And we would say, honey, what's up? What's, what's going on? And so Naomi was saying that, that, that even though her name was pleasant, she's saying that God has taken away all the pleasantness from my life. That's a pretty big statement because of the loss that she has had. And she said, so instead, call me Mara." And you, you say, well, it's, it's not a terrible name. But to a, a Jewish person, they would remember that Moses led the children out of Israel. And on their way out of Egypt, he led them out. And for three days, they didn't have any water. And then they arrived at a place called the waters of Marah. And the waters of Mara, when they tried to drink them, they were so bitter that they could not be, uh, they couldn't consume them. They couldn't drink it from from that water until God did a miracle through Moses by throwing, believe it or not, trees into the water. And then God changed the water. So Naomi is saying, My life is no longer pleasant. God has removed the, the pleasantness from my life, and it literally has become bitter. So call me bitter she wasn't saying that she was full of bitterness but she was saying that my life has become bitter she because her husband is gone because her sons are gone she has realized now that her life is only it's only bitterness and it's sadness She has resigned herself to her bitter life. She has resigned herself to a life of sadness. She is saying, I have gone from prosperity to grief, from pleasantness to bitter. And she was going even further by saying that God had written these things on her life. Now, the Bible says that all of our days are written in God's book before we live even one of them. Imagine that God takes his pen and over your life writes bitter. Could you imagine feeling that way? Maybe the circumstances of your life are such that you actually feel that. And if that is the case today, I want to declare hope to you in Jesus' name. She said, God has brought affliction on me. Have you ever thought anything like that? That literally the things that are happening in your life, they are so bitter, they are so bad, they can only be because God has brought them into your life. That God has literally caused them to happen. I want you to look this morning at James chapter 1. Starting at verse number two. Now, I want you to remember that James was the brother of Jesus, and James was considered the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he's writing to Christians that have dispersed around the area because of the persecution that had been taking place in Jerusalem. He says, "'Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, "'whenever you face trials of many kinds.'" Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You might look at your life and say, my life is literally going from bad to worse. And I'm resigning myself to this bitter existence this unpleasant existence. I I look at my life and I can only surmise that God's hand must be against me. I want to remind you of Paul's words to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 where he says, we know that in all things, God is at work for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So whatever your struggle is this morning, If you find yourself in a struggle, and I want you for a moment, I want you to picture that struggle or or even name that struggle in your mind right now. Name it, whatever it is. I want you to think it, and I want to assure you of this truth, that God is at work in the middle of your struggle. You may not feel like it. You may not even believe me, but I want to assure you that God is at work in your struggle. He's working right now. He, and and it's, not, it's not just that he hasn't given up on you. Whether you're working in your struggle or not, it, it, God is working. Sometimes we don't even work on our struggle. Sometimes we give up. We resign ourselves to the fact that, well, this is just the way it's gonna be. I want you to know that even if you've given up, God is working in the middle of your struggle. Secondly, God... Uses us during struggle. Now, come on, you've got to be kidding me. If I've resigned myself to this is the way my life is going to be, why would God want to use me? Well, let's look at Naomi's life. After her sons have died, of course, her husband has already passed away, or her, her sons now die. And she hears that there, the famine in Bethlehem has, or in, in Judah um, and in her hometown of Bethlehem has now passed. And it's okay for her to return to Bethlehem. Remember, 1,800 miles, remember, 30 miles a day for two months. That's how long it's gonna take to get back there. That's a long trip. She decides she's gonna go back. And she has two daughter in laws now that she is responsible for. And she decides that it would be better for them if they return to the home of their mothers. In other words, listen, ladies, I can't take care of you. And so it would be better off for you if you went to live with your mother. In fact, she said, you know, even if I had a husband right now and I got pregnant tonight, you would not want to stick around and marry the children that i would bear even if it were happening right at this moment she naomi looked at the situation she looked at 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 the possibilities and she said it's just too big of a task there's no way there's no how that you could ever that 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 my sons, I I just can't give birth and 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 create new sons for you. So it's better if you would just go back and live with your mothers. Maybe just maybe as a widow, maybe you will find a husband. It's probably not going to be a very good existence, but at least you might be able to find a husband. One of her daughter in laws says, "You know what? I think that's the better part of wisdom for me." So. I'm going to go and I'll go back to my parents and, and I, will, I will see if I can eke out a, a life there with my family. But the second of her two daughter-in-laws was a woman named Ruth. And Ruth said, you know what? I'm going to stay with you. I'm not going to leave. And I want to read from Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. She said, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go... I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, Naomi probably did not like this answer. This didn't make her feel warm and fuzzy. What this made Naomi feel like is now I've got to take care of this woman. Because she's the mother-in-law. She's the one that's got a, that's got, you know, we're going back to Bethlehem. We're going back to my home country and my home city. And now all of a sudden I have all this responsibility that now I have to take care of. So they make the 1800 mile journey back to Bethlehem. And when they arrive in town, the Bible says that that community was abuzz with the news that Naomi was back in town. Why? Because when Naomi left, Naomi had the world by the tail. She had a husband. She had two sons. She had enough resources where she and her family could travel 1,800 miles to get out of this famine. And now she's come back. She has no husband. She has no sons. In fact, she even has to care for this little daughter-in-law that she's dragging along behind her. It was not a good scene in Naomi's life. They were talking, I imagine, even gossiping about, man, how the tables have turned on Naomi. But it leaves me with the question how then could Naomi possibly help Ruth? Look at Ruth chapter 3 and verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother in law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now, this is not talking about an adoption process. You know, hey, I'm a daughter-in-law. I'm going to find somebody to adopt you. She's talking about finding her a husband. And somehow, Naomi thought, maybe we can find a husband for Ruth. Now, without income... And Naomi being older, the only way they had of getting any food was for Naomi during harvest time, or excuse me, Ruth, to go into the fields after the harvesters had gone through and do what was called glean the fields. In other words, they they would pick up what was left over, what the harvesters missed. They could, it was, it was actually allowable by law that they could go into those fields and they could pick up uh, whatever was left behind. If you've ever walked through a farm field after uh, it's been harvested, you are always going to see a certain amount of whatever that, that, that was harvested, whether it's corn or whether it's soybean, whatever it is, you're going to find some of that leftover. And, and that's what she picked up so that she and her mother-in-law could live on it. And she found out that she was actually working in the field of a man named Boaz. And when she got home after that first day, she told her mother-in-law that "I'm, I'm working in a field of a man named Boaz. And Naomi told her, listen, Boaz is what we call a kinsman redeemer. In other words, he's a family member, and it is allowable by law for him to redeem our situation, for him to actually buy our situation and make it right. Now, I don't know about you, but... There's, we're gonna we're gonna look at some things here that are are pretty interesting, and I don't know if I've ever uh, would ever think about doing life this way. But Naomi actually instructs Ruth on how to obtain a marriage proposal. In our culture, it's easy. You go on a, a dating app, and eventually, you know, it leads to marriage. No, I, that, I mean, there are some people that do that. I, I've got friends that that met that way, but. Uh that's, that's not how you know, we did it. We went to Bible college. They said if you went to Bible college, you were guaranteed to get married. So I thought that was a great place to go. Um, but, uh, but what happened was Naomi tells Ruth, I want you to go get cleaned up, okay? If you've been working in the fields all day... You probably need to get cleaned up. She tells her her daughter-in-law, I want you to go get cleaned up, and I want you to put on perfume, and I want you to put on your best clothes. Now, every married man appreciates when his wife gets cleaned up, puts on perfume, and puts her best clothes on. Okay. Now we also realize that some days you you just don't you don't have it in you and it's a work day at home on a Saturday, and so you know you're gonna you're gonna have your hair up, you're gonna have your sweats on, you know, you're 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 just in a different mode, but but Naomi told Ruth, listen, this is not that time you need to get cleaned up, smell good, and dress up. And I want you to go tonight after, after the harvesters fall asleep. I want you to go to the threshing floor, and I want you to find out where Boaz is. And after he's gone asleep, I want you to uncover his feet. Now, my wife, to my knowledge, has never uncovered my feet, okay? I I don't think that's ever happened before. But she, she tells Ruth, uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. Now, we're talking about basically being in a barn. They're at, they're, they're at the, the threshing floor. Lay down at his feet. Can you imagine poor Boaz waking up in the middle of the night? Something spooks him, and he looks up. His feet are uncovered, and there's a, a, a younger woman than himself, a younger woman laying at his feet. It's, it would have scared, it'd scared me to death. And what happens? She, she tells him to spread... His, his garment over her. This is part of the custom. This was a request for a relationship. And Naomi told Ruth, you say that to him and he'll take care of the rest. If you uncover his feet, if you lay down, and when he wakes up, you just say, spread your, spread your, your garment over me, he's going to know exactly what to do. Because legally, he could redeem her situation. He was in Naomi's family, and he would be able to be someone that could marry her. And so it was, there was a legal process that ultimately had to be followed. God used Naomi to find a husband for her daughter-in-law. You say, how can God use us? How can God use us if we're in the middle of a struggle? Because Naomi was in a deep struggle, God used her. How can God use us? Let me read from 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth about the believers in Macedonia. He said, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. The Macedonians were going through an incredible time of tribulation. It was described as a great affliction They were deeply impoverished. I don't know exactly what the situation was caused by, but they had nothing. And yet in the midst of their severe trial, they gave far above what Paul ever could have imagined that they would have. You say, well, what were they giving to? Well, back in Jerusalem, the the, the believers are under persecution from Nero. There are people, uh, believers, there are Christians that are being um, dunked in oil and tied to post in Nero's garden, and they're being lit on fire. The, The believers are being persecuted. And so Paul was, in essence, raising support to provide for the believers that were back in Jerusalem. And the Macedonian believers, they begged, let us help. Even though they themselves were in great uh, struggle, great affliction, they begged. Why? God desires to use you and I, even in the midst of our struggle, God wants to use you. You might think there's no way. How could God use me? I'm, I'm so embroiled in my own struggle. How could God use me? Trust me. He desires to use you. And in fact, he's looking to use you. And number three, God brings victory through struggle. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about trouble, talks about hardships, persecution, famine, danger. But then look at what he says in Romans eight thirty six and 37. He said, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Even in the midst of this incredible struggle, Paul acknowledges that we as believers are conquerors. We're conquerors. Why? Because God brings about victory in the midst of our struggle. And in Naomi's life, there were three victories that God brought that I want to share with you very quickly. The first victory is this. I want you to remember what Ruth said to Naomi. She said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth was from Moab. Her people were called the enemies of God. Her people did not worship Jehovah. And what Ruth is saying is, Naomi, because of the struggle that I have witnessed you go through, I want to be a follower of Jehovah. I want to worship your God. Imagine that. Her sons had married these women and and did not have the impact on on the the life of these women that, that they would have wanted to. But now, in the midst of this terrible struggle, now Ruth says, your God will be my God. God wants to bring people to Jesus through your struggle. Did you know that? That's why it's so important how we go through the struggles that we go through. Because God is, is wanting to use us to bring other people to himself in the midst of that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. You ever hold an orange in your hand before you eat it, and you notice something different once you start to cut it open or or tear it open? You notice something different? You can't smell it until you really open it up, right? You take that peel and you pull it back. I mean, you're you're doing a lot of damage to this piece of fruit. Then you take your thumbs and you, and you stick them on the one end there and you, and you peel the whole thing open and it usually squirts you in the eye and it's acidic and it hurts. Um, and and then you got to do the rest of your orange with one eye closed. And you open that thing up and the smell hits you. You're not going to get that smell, that aroma, unless it's broken open. And the struggle that you are in is Pressure. It is force. It is even brokenness. And as we are broken open, the aroma of Christ emanates from our lives. And other people will see it and smell it in a way that otherwise they could not. And so in the midst of our struggle, they say, I want what you have. If that's God, I want it. You see, when everything's great, when everything's wonderful, you don't don't give off that same aroma. It's only when we're broken through struggle that people can sense and smell what God is really doing in our lives. The second victory is that Ruth marries Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Boaz goes through this legal process. There's somebody else that actually uh, could have married Ruth. And, and so Boaz went through the legal process and, and he made sure that that guy didn't want to redeem uh, Ruth and Naomi. And so Boaz becomes the, the kinsman redeemer. And the Bible says that, that they get married and they have a son. Let's look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. The women said to Naomi, these are the the women of Bethlehem that were commenting, wow, she left in great shape, but she's returned and life is not so good. Look at what they're saying now. They're saying this, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Now, the first thing we know is that God provided exactly what Ruth needed. And you'd say, well, Ruth already had a husband. Couldn't God just have kept her first husband alive? But God was doing things that were impossible to be done in the situation in Ruth's life early on. God brought in victories that otherwise she did not have. God gave Ruth what she needed. She needed a husband. And we know that every woman would say she needed a child and that she needed a son. God also provided for Naomi. He provided her a family. He, and she thought family was all history. There was no more possibility for family. And that in doing so, she was renewed. Her own life was sustained over the long haul because now she had a family who ultimately could care for her. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31, it says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests in the Lord. It's only through our struggle that victory comes. And that victory is something that God brings about that we desperately need. And number three, victory number three, I want to read... Uh, The second half of verse 15 from Ruth chapter 4, it says, For your daughter in law, again, this is the women of the community speaking this, for your daughter in law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. I want you to think about that. A daughter in law is better to you than seven sons. Culturally, that would be impossible. It's impossible because a daughter-in-law has no power. They have no no ability to do anything. It would be all up to the son. So this one daughter-in-law is better to Naomi than seven sons, and she's already lost two sons, so she knows what it is to lose sons. She understands the value of a son And these women are saying that she's worth more or she is better to you than seven sons. I want you to understand this because Naomi thought that her family lineage was dead and gone. But because Ruth married Boaz, they had a child named Obed. And Obed, when he grew, he had a child named Jesse. And Jesse, when he grew, he had a child, and guess what his son's name was? David. King David. And guess whose line came after King David? His name was Jesus. So here is Naomi thinking that her lineage is all dead and gone, and now she's included in the lineage of the Messiah. What an incredible victory that God brought in her life. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 4. For the Lord your God is the one who goes before you, who goes with you to fight for you against your enemy to give you victory. God is on your side and victory comes through the struggle. I don't know what struggle you're going through today. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what to call it. I don't know how long you've been going through it. But I know this, that God knows. That God has been working in the midst of your struggle. He's never stopped working. He wants to bring people to Jesus through your struggle And victory is going to come through that struggle. And God is going to be the one that brings it into your life. But you know, we have a choice. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me bitter. Call me bitter. Because the circumstance of my life is going so bad, God's hand must be against me. Call me call me Mara, call me bitter. But what happened? God took her life and her circumstance and he brought it back around to where she could be called Naomi again because of all that God did. We have a choice. Do we want to 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 literally be identified by our struggle? Do we don't don't call me anything that's remotely positive because my life is nothing but misery. Or do we want to look and say, you know what, God's going to bring a victory in the midst of my struggle and things are going to be better. We can choose to focus on the bitter or we can choose to believe for the better. I believe that that's what God desires for us to do, to believe that victory is going to come, that God is going to win that victory. And let me tell you something about the struggle that we face. A lot of you think that maybe it is, it is someone else's fault or we think that it's something that we've done. Um, we look at it as circumstantial. But Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The struggle is real but God is working in your struggle God wants to bring people to Jesus in the midst of your struggle and God has a plan to produce victory in your struggle would you bow your heads with me father I thank you I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it encourages us. I thank you for the truth that we see in it. And Father, today, for for anyone in this room that has been struggling and, and does not know how to see victory happen, and they're concerned that God has written misery over my life, and that I just must deserve it or I've done something to earn this. So he has just written me off. He's just in big red letters, he's written misery over my life. Father, I pray today that you will speak life into that circumstance. That today they will realize that God is working in the midst of their struggle. He wants to use them in the midst of that struggle and that he will produce victory in that struggle. Before we go, I want to simply ask you this. Are you in a struggle? Are you in a battle that has made your life feel bitter? If that's you, I want to pray for you before we close today. I just invite you to just slip your hand up so that I can see it, and I'll remember to pray for you. In fact, I'll close in prayer right now that way, yes. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you, Lord. You can put them down. Yes, yes. Father, you see these hands that have been raised. Lord, they feel that, that life has, it just feels bitter. It just feels like a bitter pill to swallow. And sometimes we we can literally think, God, you you must have just written, written me off. Father, I pray today for a spirit of faith to arise. Father, I pray that we can look at Naomi's life and that we can realize that in the midst of this struggle, that you're working, that you have not stopped working, that you continue working on our behalf. Father, I thank you that you still want to use us even though we're in this struggle. We don't have it all together. We don't have it perfectly done because we're not perfect, but you still want to use us. And the, and the great thing is that you have victory in store for us. So I pray, Father, for a spirit of faith to rise up in our hearts for us to receive the encouragement from the Holy Spirit today that you have designed for us that we would believe that our God has victory in store for us. That he has not rejected us. And Father, I pray today for great victory in the midst of the struggle. And I pray, Lord, that we would choose to say, I'm going for what's better. I refuse what has felt bitter to me. And I believe that God is going to move. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.